Dragon the Peg is recorded on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the Oji Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Welcome to Dragon the Peg, a podcast series exploring the lives and careers of drag performers living in Winnipeg, Canada. My name is Graham Houston, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is one that's evaded me for nearly a year. She was a must-have guest for season one of the show, and unfortunately, she had some other things going on at the time, but I was so excited to have her on this time. For many reasons, of course, but not least of all because she alone can provide insight into what both our city's drag scene is like today, and what it was like over 30 years ago. That's right, she's the oldest performing queen in our city, and she's got the stories to prove it. So without further ado, please help me welcome a daughter of Jennifer Coates, Joan Costalazza. Hi, my name is Joan Costalazza, currently the oldest performing drag queen in the city of Winnipeg. Wow. It's outlive, outlast kind of thing. <laughs> Oldest as in age or as in oldest as in like age? Performing definitely bodies? age. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 57 in January. And that's not actually, that's not even old. Well. For drag queens. For I drag queen that standards. Is. Yeah. That's, that's golden girl. But you're category. still kicking it. Yeah. I still enjoy it. I said, as long as I have fun and I enjoy doing it, I'll still do it. Not as often as I used to, but uh, mm. for special events, I mean, working in a bar situation, you don't have as much free time as you would like, but uh, yeah, I still get a kick out of it. So. Wow. Yeah, and like I've I've seen you perform multiple multiple times. Mm-hmm. I've only been around for like a year and a bit. Well, I've slowed down a little bit. Yeah, but uh, once I if I commit to something, I commit one hundred and ten percent. And I've always had the motto for myself that uh, as a drag queen, being on a stage is not a right; it's a privilege. Mm-hmm. And if you don't give something to the audience or the community that you're performing in front of, you have no business being up there. But that's just my opinion. Anita said that too once. Yeah. And I yeah. think that a lot that resonates with a lot of people in that like you're not so much in control of your career. It's like if people don't want to see you yeah. anymore, you'll there's get a, There's a bit out. of an honesty involved too as a performer. I think you have to be willing to put yourself on the line, give of yourself a little bit. And it's a risk because like you said, either they love you or they, if they don't, you will hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very creative process. I get a lot of joy out of it. Um, I love to see what other people do. I like the collaborative efforts that happen and have happened in the past. Again, what we mentioned about the Palm Sisters, that's probably one of my most fond times of memories because we had a great team. We did all our own sets. We did choreographed numbers. Every Anybody who wanted to be part of it could be part of it. The OG drag girl group. Yeah. The Palm Sisters. So what, So that was that like a rotating group of people? or was There, there like was a, a solid core of about five, six of us. And... It's, it was usually the male parts that would swap out every once in a while. They don't have the longevity of the girls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, no offense <laughs> to your previous Palm Sisters. <laughs> so when did when did the Palm Sisters come to be? That happened in uh, a bar called Geo's on Broadway. Mm-hmm. We had a wonderful DJ called Perry LaJoy. And a group of us would always get together on weekends and we would dance together and we started hamming things up a little bit, doing stop in the name of love and putting our hand out. <laughs> so that sort of became a gimmick and Perry uh, jokingly called us the Palm Sisters one day and we thought, hey, that's got a bit of a ring to it. And we used to do fu- a lot of fundraising. That was the basis of all the shows we did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily for pay. You'd get a jug of draft, whatever, which was fine at the time. And uh, 
yeah, it was entertaining for us, a uh, big community spirit for all of us. But again, the, the number one goal was fundraising and the Palm Sisters name stuck and we just sort of developed it from there. We would go to uh, other people's houses, practice our routines, do the artsy craftsy thing to make our stage sets. And yeah, it was just a good group energy. That. We were I was, we were saying on the on the elevator up. I saw the pictures of the Pomses together. Those shirts are so chic. Yeah, I, maybe we should do another run and uh, you should fire really? them off there and do another fundraiser. I would for sure buy one. <laughs> the Palm Sisters Steel Wheels tour. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your life before you before you started drag. Oh God, like I said, I was shy. I was uh, went to private Catholic school till grade eight, and then wow. the big transition was public school which was huge for me. Uh, the private school was all about academics. You were with the same group of people from grade one to grade eight, so patterns were established early on. I used to play with the girls, jump rope and all that. I wasn't much into the sports kind of thing, but um, Grant Park is where I went to high school, and that was a huge eye-opener for me. Mm -hmm. I remember the first day of class, the bell rang. Back at Catholic school, you did sit with your hands on your desk, and you were dismissed one by one bell rings the whole class gets up and walks out and I'm thinking wow they're all going to be in so much trouble <laughs> and I'm sitting there and the teacher's doing notes and she looks up and oh I'm sorry did you have a question I said no she said well, what are you doing here I said well you haven't dismissed me yet oh you're the one from and I, oh <laughs> burn <laughs> so it had to it was a relearning of uh, social skills that kind of thing but um, yeah I think I got my first experience of uh gay life and doing research into it there used to be a show on called coming out on vpw channel 13 which i would hide in the basement to watch and that was my sort of opening into finding out more about who i was mm -hmm. and then when i first came out i was very fortunate to meet someone right off the hop he's a very sweet man bill and uh, yeah he took me under his wing and yeah. so that coming out experience was it hard? Internally, <laughs> internally, it was hard, yeah. I judged myself really harshly. I felt like I was a disappointment, you know. But it, it, this is a common theme for a lot of people. But uh, I think what really saved me and helped me was finding that group early on. Uh, some of them were older, and there was a maturity level, and I could see they were confident, they were happy in who they were, and I thought, okay, I'm going to try and be like that. I'm going to see what I can learn from these people. So, In hindsight, of course, back then I was so naive, I was just kind of went with it right whatever happened happened but so um you've said before that like charity is one of like the key reasons why mm -hmm. you do drag yeah so why is that so like central to the career of Joan Costalazza people find this hard to believe but I used to be very shy and reserved um coming out for me drag was a part of that process to build up my self-confidence I was very fortunate to have two people early on uh Jennifer Coates my drag mother and Hillary Brooks who we did more of comedy routines together, and we just seemed to have a natural timing. I remember the first time I performed, I was so terrified. It was at a bar called Happenings in the basement, and uh, I was supposed to do my lip sync number. She was off changing. Mm -hmm. She was supposed to come back on. She did all the talking. Well, she was having a little bit of a wardrobe malfunction, and I could see off to the side she was struggling <laughs> to get into an outfit. So she's making this gesture that I should talk. And I was just looking at this microphone, terrified, thinking, I don't know what to say. What am I going to do? And then I looked over and I saw her, you know, still trying to squeeze into this outfit. So I said, uh, well, folks, we're having a little bit of uh, technical difficulties. It seems like Hillary is trying to squeeze into an outfit. 
but that's what happens when you make your dresses from the upholstery of the back seat of a 55 Chevy. <laughs> and there was about a two, three second beat and people started laughing and clapping. And I thought, wow, this is really powerful. I kind of like this. So that's how it started. Yeah. Wow. So how long have you been doing drag for? Uh, I think I started, if I remember well, probably mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I came out a uh, late bloomer, I guess in my 20s, early 20s. And managed to find a, a dear friend and partner, my first partner of eight and a half years, Billy. And he introduced me to his friends. And one of the people that stuck out for me immediately was Jennifer Coates. Mm-hmm. She just had this larger-than-life personality. Uh, she was a little scary to me at first because she was so out there. <laughs> no filter, nothing. Anything that she wanted to say, she said it, but always with a kind heart. So she kind of took me under her wing. Drag back then usually was centered around Halloween mm-hmm. at the bars. And they used to have their Miss Whatever contest, Miss Happenings, Miss Geos, Miss mm, Purdies. So that's why the timing is the way that it yep. is. Yeah, ah. it's kind of a historical thing. Um, and I went in a, as a lark, just for fun, shits and giggles, as they say. Uh, Jennifer kind of encouraged me. I made my own little black satin dress and didn't have any wigs, didn't have any makeup. So I used my own 80s sprayed up hair and she helped me with my makeup. And they gave you a little paper plate with a number on it. You did your stroll around and... I was so glad when that was over, I just threw it under the table and thought, okay, now we can relax and party and <laughs> go to town. Well, then the contest announcement comes, and there comes number three, number two, number one, and the winner, and this winner is not showing up, and we're like, what the, where is this person? Do they have to make a grand entrance? Like, what's their story? And, and Jennifer says to me, well, where's your plate with your number on it? I said, well, I chucked it under the table. She says, well, get it. And I look at it, and it was number 10, which was the winner, and she goes, that's you, you idiot. Get up there. <laughs> So, yeah, that was uh, very surprising to me, and uh, it was a real eye-opener, too, because I had to hit the ground running and learn a steep learning curve. Uh, I was told, uh, I didn't even have a drag name at that point, so you have to go represent your bar at the other bars, and I had to go across the street to Geo's, and they put me in this back room with all these other queens, who I affectionately call now the Barracudas, because they ate me alive. (laughs) asked me what my drag name was and I kind of went, uh, Joan? And I said, well, that's original. And I thought, well, if I'm going to compete with these girls, I got to up my game. So it took me a couple months to sort of gel something together and I was into Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine back then and I liked that sort of Latin flavor and I thought, well, if I was going to be a queen or back in the day we used to call him the hooker affectionately, <laughs> I'd be expensive. You know, you want to be with me, it's going to cost you money. Cost a lot. The Joan cost a lot. So I click. Ah. <laughs> Not that I'm a hooker. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but yeah. It, yeah, that's how it started. Wow, that's the origins of Joan. Yeah, yeah. And throughout all that time, I'm very fortunate to have uh, Jennifer Coates as my drag mother, who I miss dearly, but uh, made a lot of friends on, along the way, vacation together. Shaved her back a few times. That should get me a gold medal for something. But <laughs> Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jennifer left us a little bit before I started getting introduced to the drag scene. Mm-hmm. But from what I hear, she was she was very very central to yeah. Winnipeg drag. Yeah. She was very respected. I was wondering if you could tell me like a little bit about her legacy. Not to take away from your own. No, culture. not at all. I'm happy to. Jennifer was an inspiration to a lot of people in terms of. Uh, getting fundraising going she was so dedicated to geo's cares um she did a lot of things behind the scenes that people didn't know about Mm -hmm. and she would rather not divulge so i'll respect that but uh 
She was driven to get the SOMS going, the Snowy Owl Monarchist Society. She mm -hmm. was there right from the get-go. Her and Stephanie Lane Barr were kind of the two that got that thing off the ground. Yeah, just a very generous heart, always thinking of other people. Even if she was having difficulty, she would always put other people first. I'm not trying to eulogize. I mean, we all have our faults, but uh, I think she really was a genuine, warm person. And was she performing pretty much until... Yeah, she was. Uh, if she wasn't performing, she would come out. She was what we call the high glam drag, mm -hmm. the old class and sass. We call it. Uh, <laughs> we always used to think of her as uh, Joan Collins from Dynasty. She <laughs> had that sort of flavor to her, and one of her favorite songs that became sort of her tagline was uh, "Champagne Taste and Beer Bottle Pockets." Mm -hmm. So yeah, every time I hear that, I think of her and have a smile on my face. So she spearheaded a lot of uh, organizations for charity. I mean, tirelessly, tirelessly. Advocate for HIV, ending a stigma. The Red Ribbon Walk is what it's called now, but was integral in the beginning from that too. Big supporter of Nine Circles. So, yeah, like I said, she would advocate for herself very well. She taught me a lot about that. You have to speak up if you want to get looked after properly. It's in some cases just a number, just a file. But she would doggedly pursue that and encourage other people if they had questions ask her she'll be more than willing to help you out so that's what I remember her for give me a kick in the ass when I needed it too <laughs> <laughs> oh and the dark rum and coke with a little white napkin around it that's her signature cocktail so mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of hard to go on without her sometimes but you know what that's the other thing I tell myself too she wouldn't want me to be sitting here wallowing or anything so I I always make sure I have a little piece of her jewelry or something like I have a little bracelet on now I always carry something of hers around with me every day so and you really kept that spirit going. Like just last year, you were you were princess. Mm hmm. Like you 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 still like continue to to give back and stuff. Yeah, like this that. was my second wave. I was involved in the SOMS probably about oh, forgive me if I get the dates wrong. Maybe ten years ago, mm -hmm. I was a treasurer. Won a few awards. And it was a, that was a real learning curve for me too. I I have a tendency to volunteer for things without really knowing what I'm volunteering for, and then. <laughs> the education <laughs> comes from the back <laughs> but I'm happy to do it like I said if I take on something I take it seriously and I try and do my best then so when you started correct me if I'm wrong but there wasn't just one queer owned bar operating in Winnipeg no there we were, were five. yeah we had uh, Geo's Happenings Miss Purdy's Club 200 oh my god so sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah four four for sure uh, I keep hearing that there's one more. Maybe the bathhouse? Ah! <laughs> wow. I mean, certainly a destination. Yeah. <laughs> Could tell stories about that, too, but uh, <laughs> that's for another time. <laughs> that's for that's for Joan Unplugged. Yeah, yeah. Sequel. So, so there were, I mean, now, like, we're kind of rallied around a few a few queer spaces, but Club 200 is kind of the only, like, drag bar that's kind of left. So what was it like to have like five different spaces or four I guess or three I think the flavor of them was very different back then like the three that I would go to regularly was uh, Geo's on Broadway that just had a small sort of cheers type of atmosphere mm -hmm. huge oak bar you couldn't help but have to run the gauntlet to get in there mm -hmm. um, Happenings was more of a later dance club younger crowd um, and Miss Purdy's I would do fundraising there so I didn't go there as often but I always felt very welcome 
Um, they actually made me an honorary lesbian and gave me a little certificate. So, <laughs> Miss Birdies was the was the lesbian. Lesbian bar, bar yeah. Mm. And two hundred, yeah, two hundred has always been around. It's always been probably more open in terms of clientele that goes there. There's more of a mixed crowd. Mm-hmm. But back in those days, if you didn't get in line at the door at seven thirty, eight o'clock, you waited. The the lines they were lined up outside the door. Really? Yeah. All yeah. places. Yeah. The Happenings actually was a membership bar. That was another thing that was very different back then. You couldn't just walk into a bar. You had to have somebody sign you in that knew you because it was a lot riskier then. I mean, there was still a lot of queer bashing going on. and uh, You had to be aware of your surroundings, and thankfully we had establishments like that that took it on themselves to make sure that they were safe spaces for people to go and actually relax. You felt like you could totally be yourself. Mm-hmm. There was no judgment. You know, it was... A truly safe space and they still are and i've heard about that from conversations with alan that's sort of like the reason why club 200 is kind of like the only sustained queer owned bars because in the past when it wasn't so safe to go to gay bars and stuff like that memberships were required mm-hmm. memberships gave like a consistent steady stream of income yeah. and yeah. then as it became less less uh, dangerous to go to those places and they didn't need memberships. They didn't have that continued mm-hmm. sort of... I'm, I'm still thinking about lineups at the door at all Oh, yeah, locations. and early. That's er- crazy. Early. Nick, 8 o'clock geos on a weekend. If you weren't there but before 8, you didn't get in. So or you stood in line and waited and hoped somebody would leave. And <laughs> You know, yeah. It was, if you're a regular, you knew the layout of the land, so to speak. This group of people would sit at these tables. These people would sit here. Um, there used to be an area called the Red Zone, which is not politically correct, but back in that day, it was just an affectionate term for Indigenous people that would sit in the back. And I remember I was still hearing all these things and learning, and one of the first times, a, fr- a dear friend of mine who's passed as well, Candy Samples, one of the first uh, people I ever met that transitioned, mm-hmm. beautiful person, used to sit in that Red Zone, and I remember once I went over there, and he was like, what are you doing? You can't go back there. I was like, why not? Well, you know, that's that's where they sit. That's their spot. I said, you know what? My friend's there. Whatever. I said, if I can't, I'll be told I can't. But I'm going to talk to my friend. And apparently that was a big deal back then. Really? So I broke a little bit of a barrier there. And, yeah, it was welcomed with open arms. So I just thought, people are people. We're all human beings. Everybody has a story to tell. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. And if you can give somebody just five minutes and listen to them, I think that's a good thing. So I that kind of launches pretty well into my next question which is like now obviously queer phobia transphobia and racism are still like huge in our community Mm -hmm. but back then i imagine it was it was just it was so much more inflated like you were saying it was dangerous to go to some of these yeah the fag bashing or queer bashing as we call it now um it would just strike out of the blue i mean i i remember people getting murdered and then one guy would they chased him and his body was found in the river and I mean that's that's horrible I remember my first partner we went to dinner in Osborne Village a nice dinner we were dressed in suits and ties and we're walking home a summer evening not even that late maybe 10 o'clock down Assiniboine Avenue and we passed this group of six guys and I didn't really think anything of it at first they weren't overtly aggressive but about Two minutes later, I turned around and I looked back and I said to my partner, I hope you can run because they had decided, I guess in a two-block span, that they were going to come back and beat the shit out of us. <laughs> so we lived right on Kennedy and Assiniboine. We ran into our apartment building, got in the front lobby, locked the door, turned around. They were all standing right there. 
and that initial fear and adrenaline takes over. But when I got up to her apartment, then I became so angry because I thought, you know, we're just walking down the street minding our own business and they singled us out for whatever reason. I mean, we're not that flamboyant, I don't think, but yeah, it was that was my first experience with being terrified of who I was and realizing that I could get beat up just for being myself. So, and I imagine that must have been so exacerbated when you were like when you were a drag queen, when you were like openly cross-dressed. Well, that was funny though because back then I remember I used to walk to the bar Geo's on Broadway. And uh, this is actually one of my favorite memories, too, because I guess I was passable. If that's Back then, that's what we said. I, I looked like a female mm-hmm. and because uh, I didn't do the elaborate drag. It was more of a natural look, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking up Broadway, and this guy in a pickup truck is honking and whistling and whatever, and I'm thinking, I, I didn't say anything because I didn't want to reveal the voice, but uh, <laughs> we come up to uh, Broadway, and there, there's a cross street with an, a light... Anyway, he's not paying attention. He ends up plowing into the back of a Jaguar. Whoa. So I just howled. <laughs> I was like two or three blocks from the bar, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, you just made my night. <laughs> wow. Joan Costalazzo yeah. causing yeah. traffic. Oh, my God. Collisions. And then a couple of times, too, taking cab rides, and they would, oh, you don't have to pay cash. You can give me a blow dress. Well, I'm a dude, you know. Uh, what? Oh, my God. I used to be a lot skinnier then, so. <laughs> So it was almost safer for you, at least in, in your experience, it was almost safer for you dressing and kind of passing as a woman. Yeah, people, I, I don't know, I guess I, the first time I ever performed at Geo's too, I had the, a few gay guys come up to me after and say, oh, it's so amazing that they let real women perform here. And I said, I'm a guy. Like, what are you talking about? And they were kind of surprised by that, but You said you kind of you you did more of like a more of a natural sort of yeah. passing form of drag, yeah, um, like female impersonation kind of. Yeah, right? I guess. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, like the makeup, I don't do any sort of that. Really, I call it high drag makeup. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right terminology, sure. but sort of RuPaul inspired. Mm-hmm. I tried that once and I thought, you know what? I even had a few people come up to me and say, what have you done? That's that's <laughs> not Joan. And I went, yeah, you know, it doesn't feel doesn't feel comfortable. I taught myself how to do my own makeup. And I mean, back then, there weren't any tutorials online or anything. You went and got books and fashion wow. magazines and that kind of stuff. And you'd go buy your own products and try stuff. And yeah, trial and error. So that kind of high drag <laughs> style, that was still prominent or that was prominent even like back in the 80s? Uh, you didn't really see that. Uh. No, uh, inspirations for me back then would be people like Flip Wilson. He was a performer at his own comedy series. Um, certain shows like, uh, I remember Archie Bunker had an episode with, uh, I think they called her a cross-dresser back then, but that was like way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you didn't have very many drag role models in the public form you had more of your friends or like people like jennifer she taught me a lot and mm-hmm. hillary taught me a lot about stage presence and timing and um, and we helped each other some were brave and would go shop 
Jennifer was one of those. She didn't care. She would go into a women's dress store, and I want to try this on, and they would make her go to the men's clothing store next door to try it on. <laughs> but she did it anyway. <laughs> Balls to steal that one. <laughs> wow. When did you start to see the tides shift in terms of, like, safety for queer people? Pride marches played a big part in that. I remember my first Pride march, I went in drag. Um, there were still people that were wearing brown paper bags over their heads because they didn't want to be recognized. That was empowering to be walking down Portage Avenue within your own community. I mean, there was the people with the signs and the Bible verses and whatever, but you didn't really feel that threatened in yeah. a large group like that. When it really started to change, hmm, funnily enough, I think it was when social media started to come into play. Really? Because there was a faster communication. Mm. If there if there were people that were trouble, you know, you could spread the word that way a little bit. Back in my time, we used to, uh, you knew certain places it would be risky to go. Mm. So you try not to go alone. You'd go with other people. And when the bars would close, they used to go in Cinnaboyne Avenue and call it sidewalk sale. And party afterwards and people would have beer in their trunks, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but that became known to uh, people that were into violence and intimidation. So they would kind of wait and cause trouble but yeah mm -hmm. wow so the turn of social media do you think that social media the rise of that was also sort of like the turn of drag culture as we know it because it's kind of transformed mm -hmm. i imagine since since from when oh started. yeah when i did it it was a it wasn't year round mm -hmm. I mean, well there was a few queens that would dress up on a regular basis but it wasn't as prevalent as it is now mm -hmm. it was usually done for some sort of special theme or show or you know there's a, a few groups of queens that would do shows once in a while but uh, not every weekend like you see now yeah or, and, and if multiple bars have any drag shows it was a much smaller community back then and you had your main headlines from headliners from other cities like uh, Bobby Monroe who used to sing live um, we had a local queen uh, Jackie Giuseppe who used to sing live while on roller skates that was pretty cool <laughs> Tanae was another one from the states that used to come up and perform at 200 sing live, do cartwheels and high heels. That just blew my mind. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was a little tighter knit, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now it's kind of exploded. Mm -hmm. So when did you sort of see the, the tides change in that regard, like in terms of drag culture? Hmm. Was there like a clear point? Or I don't think so. I think it gradual? was sort of a gradual... Back in the day, too, I remember start when I started or Dan was doing it in the early years, there was a there was a bit of a drag phobia thing among some of the gay men themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I remember hearing comments sometimes somebody would ask who I was and, oh, you don't want to you don't want to go with that one. That one's a drag queen. And at first I used to just let that fly. And then I thought, you know what? No way. It takes guts to be a drag queen. Yeah. And if you want to be with someone like me, I'm not changing. It's part of who I am. It's part of my creative process. You don't like it? Lump it. My second partner, Don, uh, my husband right now, uh, we've been together for almost 30 years. And when we first met, I still had that own self. Oh, I can't fucking see me in drag because that'll be the end of it, right? Mm. So he saw me in drag once, and I, I saw him from a distance, and we were doing the back and forth, back and forth in the bar, and he finally <laughs> just stopped me and said, I know it's you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> so that was cool. You were running away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's kind of a weird dichotomy there in that, like, the, the, the drag scene in terms of performers has kind of exploded. Mm -hmm. But judging by kind of what you're saying about, like, the, the crazy lineups at the door, the attendance has sort of 
dropped. So there's sort of like a weird flip flop there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's strange. Well, shows used to start a lot earlier back then too. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Nine o'clock, nine thirty. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you wanted to be there, you had to get there early if you wanted to get a seat. Mm -hmm. Now, the party scene too in general has changed. You don't have to go to a bar as a gay person to meet someone that's gay. Mm -hmm. It's online. People go out for dinner. I mean, I, there's very few places I w in this city that I would not feel comfortable going in and being myself, mm -hmm. to, be to be honest. Maybe a few, but late shows. Um, and there's more performers, too. Usually shows didn't have quite the... Like, having a show with 10 queens, 20 queens performing it, that was pretty rare because there yeah. just weren't that many around back then. And it was a little more clicky back then, I, I have to be honest. I mean, groups tended to travel together in, in their own circles kind of thing. And if you wanted to break in, that, that was difficult. Mm -hmm. I can see if you were a new person and you wanted to get into the scene, you had to work for it. It was it was harder. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's a lot of opportunities, I feel. For, yeah. For there's more sharing. Yeah. And there's oppor exactly right. There's times you can come out and there's a support group there for you waiting. Mm -hmm. um, I can think of one person in particular that comes to 200 and I've seen multiple people help her with her makeup and just encourage, you know, so that's good to see. People like Prairie Sky, I think she's amazing. She just cut from this. She's cut from the same cloth that Jennifer is cut from, if I can say that. Um, and there's a few other people in the community, too, that I over the years I've just seen what they do and it's makes me feel nice and warm inside mm -hmm. to know that, that the inspiration for what they're doing is a positive one. Drag has drag has taken on this kind of like crazy new form. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? It's I think so it's different. great. I mean, uh -huh. I'm still learning too. I think the minute you stop learning, you might as well lay down and call it a day. But uh, And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I don't understand it, but it's a creative process, right? Mm -hmm. We can't all like the same things. If we did, it would be pretty boring. I love that there's so much variety. There's no one that can say to me that there's a boring show in Winnipeg. There's levels of talent, levels of creativity, but I see a real positive encouragement going on with all these different groups, and I hope that just grows. And I think, I mean, RuPaul, the queen of all queens, I guess, has a big deal to do with that, but I watched Dragstar UK and some of those British girls. Holy moly, it's a different thing altogether. I like people that are a bit sarcastic, have that edgy sense of humor mm -hmm. that's that that sings to me because yeah. i think i do that too sometimes a little too much but <laughs> people like joan rivers inspire me too that's another one that kind of brash in your face comedy style jackie beat i love her stuff but <laughs> most of it is probably not pc anymore so. <laughs> <laughs> i think a lot of drag stuff is like a little bit not politically correct mm -hmm. i mean we still kind of i think that our scene in winnipeg at least still operates within like the modem of like no discrimination you mm -hmm. know like like racism sexism transphobia queerphobia of any kind is still kind of off limits but like still drag culture is pretty like it's still pretty edgy mm -hmm. in terms of like the comedy and the jokes that are yeah. made and the things that you see at club 200 and i think too once you get to know some of these queens and their performing style you realize what their intent is mm -hmm. i i haven't met a queen yet whose intent is to hurt people and if they're out there well we cross paths look out because <laughs> i'll call you out on it one of my favorite memories too at club 200 was i used to call bingo every saturday and it was like a daily bingo uh, a weekly bingo with a progressive jackpot so it would start out kind of slow but when the prizes got up to around a thousand dollars we would pack the house mm. and i would wear a different drag outfit every weekend 
And that was good for my confidence, too. I would be disappointed if I didn't get heckled by at least one person. <laughs> because I could feed off that. Yeah. And I love to make an audience laugh. If they're laughing, then I'm happy. So So do you work at Club 200? Yep. yep. Wow, how long have you been working at, at 200? Uh, this time around, I think it's coming up on a couple years. Wow. I used to do bartending shifts there. And then uh, I've always been in the hospitality business. So they were transitioning the kitchen a little bit and I thought well I can do that and I, moved, I used to be a caterer and a wedding planner and all that kind of stuff so it just kind of seemed like a natural fit. Wow so you've been in in bars for three plus decades. Mm -hmm. What's the Holy craziest? moly I think <laughs> I should start going to meetings. <laughs> get her off get her out. Um, what's the craziest memory you have from a, from a bar? A bar. Well they used to have a lot more live strippers and some of those, if it was later in the evening, those could get a little crazy in terms of drag shows. Oh, one of the crazy memory from Club 200, we did a New Year's Eve show and we reconfigured the stage setup. So we were at that upper level oh, yeah. that they use as a change room. And we had uh, tar paper. We each did an outline of our body and painted our own artwork and busted out from behind that. But we did the village people. We did all kinds of crazy numbers. We did this giant... And I take the blame for this. It seemed like a good idea at the time, this long worm number where we were all lying on the floor on top of each other singing, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. It was <gasps> terrible. Sorry, girls. <laughs> what happened? You should have said no. <laughs> the audience was just so bewildered. They were looking at us like, what are they doing? <laughs> it's like a giant tube sock. Oh and our God. heads were cut out, and we looked like a giant caterpillar. It was, just, <laughs> it was so stupid. But, uh, yeah. It's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, it was hilarious looking back on it. But at the time, like I, said, I remember looking at some of the faces in the crowd and they're just like, what the heck is that? <laughs> it's so funny. As you're explaining some of these things, like I, I think I thought that there was like such a big divide between what drag used to be and what drag is now. But like a lot of it is. Oh, yeah. What I'm it, hearing, like a lot yeah. of it is still oh, mostly yeah. the same. It's shenanigans. Uh, another time it <laughs> happenings, I did. Uh, there was a song by I think it's Pam Tillis, Queen of Denial. Mm hmm. So I made myself this Cleopatra outfit, but I didn't want to come out in that mm -hmm. and have everybody see it. So I took a hula hoop and made a curtain and I walked out holding this thing while not realizing I can't see where I'm going. If I'm holding <laughs> this thing up, right? And I'm coming from the back trying to navigate through the crowd, but then I just dropped it. And, and that was a good number. Uh, another time I was pouring barbecue sauce all over myself while I was performing. That was another, <laughs> got a few strange looks from people. So yeah, it's. Being a little weird and off the wall, I think that's part of the drag scene, too. That's the creative process going. That's super cool. You've been doing drag since the 80s. Mm -hmm. What is the single most different thing from drag now to drag where it was when you started? On a superficial level, I would say the look of it. Mm -hmm. It's changed. It's very much, um, like I said, inspired, I think, by... RuPaul and all those superstars from those shows and clowns <laughs> yeah yeah clowns and gowns that's that's actually a great way to put it yeah uh, and I don't mean that in an offensive term it's just it's a different style and I think you know even outside of drag every generation wants to have their own signature I kind of laugh it's we we don't want to be like anybody else we want to be different but in that group you're all the same so mm -hmm. it's kind of funny yeah and I guess that comes with old older age but uh yeah, it's it, it's a different look. I think people think it's a lot easier than it is. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to be really good and you want to stand out, it's hard work. Mm -hmm. And it's I think it's harder now to make yourself stand out as an individual 
because there's so many people that have done it already now. Yeah. Y- your gimmick is going to have to be something really out there. And the and the sample size is just so much huger. Mm-hmm. And with social media, I mean, you can find out in a heartbeat whether they like you or not. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, which I think would be hard for people's ego sometimes. Mm-hmm. My other line that I always say: Don't take it so seriously. You're a man in a dress. <laughs> back in the day, it was predominantly men. Mm-hmm. We used to have a. You could say bio queen back then. We had one in Winnipeg. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there wasn't that political division so much either. It just yeah. flowed a little more. What was her name? Do you remember oh, her name? Jeez, what was her name? I didn't know that there were AFAB queens back then. Mm-hmm. Not very many. I think she was one of the only ones. I want to see. Oh, it's, it'll come to me. I can see her face. <laughs> Anita and I were talking about her a couple weeks ago. It's can't, okay. I think I'll hunt her yeah. down. Yeah. Anita, I'll, I'll Anita will tell down. you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you said before you were kind of ruminating on the fact that you're kind of like one of the one of the last of sort of that era of drag mm-hmm. that's still performing, and a lot of a lot of a lot of your contemporaries are just not around anymore, mm-hmm. whether they've mm-hmm. moved away or passed on. Yeah. What does that feel like to kind of be one of the last pillars of sort of that old guard? Ooh, well, I don't know if I would say I'm a pillar. Uh, <laughs> Survivor is probably more like it. <laughs> And, and there's another generation right under me that consider themselves old. I always thought of them as kids, so when they say they're old, it's like, well, if you're old. <laughs> <laughs> you want to feel old? Come shake my hand. Um, which, which which generation would that be? People like uh, Vita, uh, Brianna. To yeah. me, they're kids. They've yeah. always been kids to me. So when they say they're old, I'm like, well, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> it's different. I mean, I, I went through a phase probably a, a year ago where I was... Uh, and I think that coincides with Jennifer's passing because I didn't realize how much of a right arm she was for me in the social scene. Mm-hmm. One example I can give you is uh, Victoria Lush, who I've always loved her look, mm-hmm. but for some reason never had the guts to go and talk to her. And she was at 200 one night standing at the bar and looked like off the pages of Vogue. And I thought, you know what? Screw your courage. You're going to go talk to her. So I went up to her and I said, you know, I got to tell you, I love this look. It's amazing. I said, I've always been a little intimidated to talk to you. And she goes, you're intimidated to talk to us. We're all shit scared of you. It's true. And I did. <laughs> I never got that. You know, and I thought, well, am I a bitch? Like, what the hell's the problem here? <laughs> but it's our own perceptions, right? Mm. So that was a huge lesson for me. I thought, you know, it's it's all in our own heads. Mm. And if I really say that it's a sisterhood and we should support each other, then I need to get off my ass, too, and, you know, break down some barriers for myself. Because that was... That was the sweetest lesson I could have got from that one. And then another time, another one of the Sunshine House girls, I was having a boohoo Brenda day, and I said, you know, I just don't feel relevant anymore. And she said, you'll be as relevant as you want to be. That's up to you. It's not up to anybody else. So, mm-hmm. so you know, you get those little, like I call them, Jennifer kicks in the ass once in a while, which is good. Kindred. So, yeah. I still feel very welcomed. I would perform with anybody. Skirt Browning is another one I got to meet, and I saw her uh, CBC podcast, and oh, wow. I just love that kid. She's very talented, so I like to see more from her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's. It's very kind of refreshing to hear you say that, like you were you were frightened of Victoria Lush. Because, oh yeah, because we, I mean, as as young performers, like there's sort of this like there's sort of this like ingrained fear of established performers who've been doing this for so long. Oh, see, and I'm hoping it would be something like. Um, Oh, there's somebody who's got a lot of experience, a lot of stories they could tell. I want to learn from them. Yeah. You know, you know? And there is, and there's so much respect, of course, yeah. but it's also just like, I don't know what it is. 
I guess it's kind of like that. I mean, we take the word drag queen sometimes out of context, but there really is a regality to it. Yeah, you know? yeah, especially in the court system, that was a that's a huge learning curve for people. That could be. T- I was intimidated mm-hmm. by that because they do a split second look at the crown on your head, look at the name tag, and then look you in the eye, and it's so fast. If mm-hmm. you don't watch it, it's just like, and they've sized you up. So, uh, but Anita was uh, inspirational to me too, taking me around to meet people when I first started uh, in the court system. So yeah, there's people that are gonna help you. Sometimes you just have to lose your pride and ask, that's all. No, drag has been very good for me. I would not change anything that I've done. It's part of who I am and I will, as long as I'm still breathing, it will be part of who I am. John, thank you so much for sitting Oh, my pleasure, this was fun. A nice walk down memory lane. Thank you so much to Joan for sitting down with me. Next up, we have the scandal queen herself of Winnipeg, the one with all the dirt and all the tea. If you're following Dragon the Peg on Twitter, you'll know this is one of my favorite queens in the whole city, and this year especially, she's been absolutely tearing it up. Will she spill? You'll have to find out, but until next week, here's a clip from her episode. I also just kind of felt like from the beginning that like, the transformation had to be like very apparent or I like wouldn't be taken seriously and I think that's like I don't know kind of like sadly where that like partly like kind of stems from that like I felt that I had to do everything like bigger and like completely different from my real self. Thank you so much to Claire Boning of Veneer for the lovely intro and outro music. Until next episode remember to always tip your local drag performers. I didn't have the opportunity to meet Joan. Joan left us a little bit. Jennifer, Joan's still here. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are I'm you gonna... foreshadowing something? <laughs> I'm going to fully... She entered a sound booth and was never seen and again. Was... <laughs> this is this is the last will and testament of Joan Costa. Oh, my God. I'm going to go over, back over that again. That's okay. <laughs>